Hey everyone, earlier this week, we mentioned a very special episode of Beyond the Plate was coming, and we weren't kidding. Just today, Birdie's Restaurant in Austin, Texas was named Food & Wine Magazine's Restaurant of the Year. We're excited for you to hear this episode with the talented duo behind Birdie's. We hope you enjoy hearing from a couple new friends of the pod. The timing couldn't be more perfect. Season 9 of Beyond the Plate is brought to you by our friends at Ford's Gin. Ford's Gin, shake up the journey. Let's start with a little audio test. For our audio test, we usually like to have uh, our guests name three of something, three each. Tracy, why don't you name three ingredients in Austin or the surrounding area that excite you? Right now, so it's smoking hot. It's 102 degrees. However, we just got sun-gold tomatoes back, and they are juicy and ripe and fresh, and I'm loving it. Okra right now is so good. I'm loving the okra from Steelbow Farm. It's super tender and just everything okra should be. The third one, the green eggplant from Boggy Creek Farm. It's super soft and like when you cook it, like almost souffles. It's just buttery and delicious. Love it. Our job name three of the most underrated places in the world producing wine. Ooh, I think South Africa for sure. I think New York State and then Mexico. Love it. You both sound good. Let's do it. Hey everyone, I'm Cappy and you're listening to Beyond the Plate, the duo season. I'm a chef by trade and hospitality professional. By day, I head up Rachel Ray's culinary operations and co-founded her cooking and kids charity called Yummo. Six years ago, I had the idea to put together a podcast where we sit down with the world's culinary elite to explore their journey into the food industry and the social impact they have made in their communities. Hence, the name Beyond the Plate. If you're new to the pod, welcome. If you've listened before, we're so glad you're back. This season, we're featuring some of the greatest restaurant and hospitality duos in the industry. And we're grateful to our partners who make this podcast a reality. With that... Hey everyone, one more thing. The team behind Beyond the Plate is excited to bring you a brand new podcast called Clean Play Club. Clean Play Club is a kid and family friendly podcast that is kind of like story time, but with recipes. Listen along as we share delicious dishes and tasty treats from chefs and celebrities who cook at home with their kids. Clean Play Club is a great way to get kids excited about food and cooking. Find it on all major podcast platforms and on Instagram at Clean Play Club Pod. Now, enjoy this week's episode. Today's husband-wife duo are behind Hot Off the Presses, Restaurant of the Year by Food & Wine Magazine. Their restaurant, Birdies in Austin, Texas, represents their shared vision for a reimagined restaurant model that places sustainability and equity at its core. Tracy Malachek Ezekiel was born and raised in Houston. She cooked her way through award-winning restaurants across New York City before becoming sous chef at Danny Meyer's Gramercy Tavern under Chef Mike Anthony. She was part of the opening team at Untitled at the Whitney. Arjav Ezekiel was born in New Delhi, India, where he spent his childhood before his family moved to Portland, Oregon when he was 12 years old. After college, he spent time in Washington, D.C., and then in 2015, he moved to New York City to help open Danny Meyer's Untitled at the Whitney. Ah... I'm sure you can imagine what came next. He met his wife and business partner, Tracy. He was then promoted to the management team at Gramercy Tavern. Please enjoy this episode as we go beyond the plate with Chef Tracy Malachek Ezekiel and Arjav Ezekiel. Hey, you two. Hi. What's up? So basically, you two flip-flop restaurants. (laughs) Is that what happened? No one's put it quite that way, but yeah, absolutely. (laughs) 
That's funny. Let's start with a little icebreaker really quick. Say the first thing that comes to your mind. Tracy, what's the one ingredient or dish if you put in front of our job, you know he'll like? There are so many. I think the one that he will always get excited about is Montresiana spaghetti. Got it. Truth. Our job. What's the one pour you know Tracy loves to sip? White burgundy. So not even <laughs> close. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's do one more quick round. Our job. Tell us one thing you depend on Tracy for. Could be in the restaurant or out of the restaurant. Tracy's really deliberate and a far more patient human being than I am. I have a tendency to want to go quick and sometimes don't think through the consequences of going through quick. And I think Tracy's really good at mediating that part of me. I like it. Tracy, tell us one thing you depend on our job for. I think the one thing that sticks out the most is he's so confident and he pushes that pardon me to come out when I can have a tendency to naturally overthink. I think he's always reminding me like, hey, you know what you're doing. You got this. And it just reminds me to be confident. I love it because it's a perfect segue into me reaching out to our friend of the podcast and season four guest, Chef Granakis, who mentioned that he had a wonderful meal at Birdie's and that you two are, I quote, truly special people. He said, which is awfully kind, nearly a million restaurants in the United States, 50,000 in the state of Texas, 6,000 in Austin, and yours is Food and Wine's Restaurant of the Year. No big deal. Take us back to the day that you got that call. So I remember the call as being in Remy, our nine-month-old nursery, and we had a laptop open and we were talking to Kushbu, who's the editor and who makes the selections and she's wonderful. So she, we're talking to her and we thought we were doing an interview about something else. And we had our baby around and Remy was kind of crawling in and out of the picture. And then she told us the news and we just froze. We were like, what? Are you kidding me? And I think it's, I mean, we're still processing and absorbing that really awesome information. So cool. Were you doing a shoot or were you on like a on a phone call? It was a Zoom call. Okay. So in July 2021, following your move to Texas, you opened Birdies, a small restaurant and wine bar in East Austin with a fine dining caliber menu and counter service format. What you both call, I'm using air quotes, listener, fine casual. Arjav, tell us more about fine casual. Sure. I think fine casual really was kind of a product of the pandemic. We signed the lease to Birdies two weeks, maybe three weeks before the pandemic shut down every single restaurant in the country. And Tracy and I got to work in that time when we were laid off from the jobs that were kind of putting food on the table at that point. But we started really thinking about, well, one, we need to renegotiate this lease. But two, we need to rethink what this world is going to look like once we come out of it. And I think what we wanted to really do was build a flexible space uh, with the restaurant, but with a big outdoor space. And I think that we all know it was a, at a premium during the pandemic. But when we started thinking through what restaurants were, we started asking ourselves some kind of basic questions and kind of first principle questions, right? What do we want from our life? And then how do we build a restaurant to kind of fulfill what we want out of our life? And we took those questions and then kind of sketched them out on Excel sheets. And the two big things that came up as an opportunity to, to get better at was getting leaner as restaurants. And when you think about lean models, counter service was like the first thing that came to mind. And so counter service 
was an opportunity for us to say, what do we want? We want um, a life where we can spend time with our families. If we want to feel that way, our team most certainly will also feel like that. We want restaurant work to be a career for people, not just a side job for somebody. We want everybody who works here to be focused on hospitality or cooking as a career. And we want balance. That was the most important thing. We don't want to work for our restaurant. We want our restaurant to work for us. And knowing those kind of first principles, we said, let's take some more risk on. Like restaurants are risky inherently, but if we don't use this moment to our advantage and take a big risk with the business model, then we're kind of not being true to ourselves and wanting to remake this industry into something more sustainable, both financially, which is, I think, really important and something we don't talk about as a restaurant community enough. It was important for us to build a really healthy business because it's much easier when you're a healthy business to take care of your team than when you're living month to month wondering how you're going to pay your next bill. And then both Tracy and I have always believed that if ownership is not in a really good headspace, it's really hard to build a strong culture. So it was really important for us to put ourselves in a really good headspace where we're not like, oh gosh, we're going to close this restaurant down in three months if no one comes or how are we going to open this restaurant without health insurance? You know, like Tracy and I need to be on health insurance. We want to have a kid. Like we have to open with health insurance. Therefore, we should offer it everybody. It was like kind of those kind of things. And I think Tracy's food is naturally really refined. It's simple, but really refined. You know, Tracy's food brings all the techniques she's learned over the last 15, 20 years in working at the best restaurants in the country. But we wanted the service part of it to feel like Austin. And we wanted to also feel really approachable where you could just pop in on a weekend, maybe wait 40 minutes to sit down, but like you're going to wait 40 minutes at any restaurant in the city on a Saturday. Yeah, I love that. Tracy, is there anything else you want to add as to like what makes Birdie stand out or your approach to cooking? I think the first part and to add on to our Jeff's notes, I think we we do love fine dining, but we wanted to kind of do fine dining our way, which means that we took everything we loved about it, but then we left everything behind that we felt like we didn't need. So like the white tablecloth, the huge team of like captain, front waiter, back waiter, we just kind of simplified that model, which like our job said, allowed us to be, I guess, lean and have a healthy business. In terms of my cooking style, I'm really inspired by the Texas seasons. I started cooking in Chicago for a year and a half at Lula Cafe, went to cooking school upstate New York in Hyde Park at the CIA, and then worked in fine dining through New York City. And so because of that, I feel like I'm very looped into the Northeast vegetables and products. So coming back to Texas, I hadn't been here for 20 years. So re kind of getting to know all of the products here, it's just been like, I'm starting over in a way. And so, you know, we get heirloom tomatoes a few different times throughout the year, typically not even in the heart of August because it's so darn hot. So it's been really fun to be inspired and challenged. And I believe that I'm better when I'm on my toes and not super comfortable. And then I think it's the same way for our cooks. I feel like everyone cooks better if they're a little on edge and something, you know, might kind of happen. Like my biggest fear at Birdie's is that we get complacent and we're just doing the same thing over and over. And sure, cooking is about repetition. Absolutely. And like getting better every day at that, like one task, but then also with the menu as a whole, I like to always keep something changing. So everyone's ready for a little surprise. Was coming to Texas, was that scary? I mean, 
you're used to small kitchens from your New York City days, I, I take it. But I mean, this was your, am I right? This is like your first kitchen you've run? Yes, that's right. So I was a line cook for a long time in New York and then working with uh, Mike Anthony at Gramercy Tavern, uh, line cook, Tornot. So I cooked all the stations and then was promoted to sous chef. So that was kind of the highest I got in the ranking was sous chef. But I felt like I had done it for so long and I had so many ideas on how I wanted to do things. And I've been fortunate enough to work with so many talented people that I was like, you know what, like between me and Arjaf putting our heads together, I was like, we can do this. We can figure it out. We're both naturally like a little rebellious, kind of free thinkers. We like to do things our way. So it was really fun to be able to put the pieces together for birdies. That's cool. Arjaf, was Texas living a shock to you? I grew up in India. I was born in India. I was raised there until I was like 12 or 13. And then we moved to Portland, Oregon. So I grew up in like this like bastion of like liberal thinking and then was in DC and New York. And I think moving to Texas was intellectually really difficult for me, but I learned a lot about myself in that process. And I think one of the things I learned was sometimes you're just hit with all this stuff about a place and you never really give yourself a chance to get to know it. And I think Austin is just one of the most remarkable cities I think I've ever lived in. The community here is unbelievable. You know, over the last five years, really become a global city. And certainly in like a national city where people are moving here from kind of everywhere. But I think the the root of Austin is really about its people and its and like the community. And that's especially true in the hospitality world. Restaurants are really, really good. Chefs are really, really good about connecting and helping and sharing and not being afraid of sharing and not thinking about the person that's about to open a restaurant as competition. And I think quite honestly, we had to rewire our brains. That wasn't our natural instincts when we got here. And we're, I think, a lot more peaceful and happier because we have allowed ourselves to be rewired in a way that allows us to be part of this community in a real way and share and talk about things openly. Yeah, that's cool. I keep reading that your wine program is thoughtfully curated, but I'm curious, like, I would like to think a lot of people's are thoughtfully curated. So tell us what makes yours different. I know there's a thoughtfully curated non-alcoholic drink element to that, but your wines in general and then some. So can you hit upon that for us? Sure. Well, I, that's nice of people to say. We have put a lot of thought in, into it. But that thoughtfulness, I think, really is about the simple things and how like a wine list reads or how hospitable it is to a guest as they're interacting with it. We certainly pay a lot of attention to how the grapes are farmed and the kind of producers that we're putting on the list. You know, we want to support people who are committed to fair labor practices are doing things the right way and farming with like intention because we really think of wine as an agricultural product first like wine sourcing is not a whole lot different than tracy paying attention to the kind of farms she works with for us it's uh, very much hand in hand uh, but one of the things that i think was really important and this was quite frankly tracy's idea when we opened was she wanted these playful we have these like playful one word descriptors next to every wine that have to do with emotion and not necessarily like a tasting note. And I think one of the challenges when we go out to drink, Tracy loves 
drinking great wine, but wine lists can be voluminous. And when they're voluminous, they can be kind of tough to parse through and figure out like how to read this. So one of the things that was really important was to organize it based on how it drinks. So, you know, if you come in and say, I want something light and crisp and dry, you just kind of look at the top third of the wine list of the white wine list. And you can say, I can pick any one of these wines and they'll generally be in that category. It's just a matter of what price point I want to be at, how adventurous you're feeling. And it's about building kind of a, a mode for people to interact with something that can quite frankly be really intimidating to a lot of people. And I always think about building things for my parents. My parents are like really savvy eaters and drinkers, but they don't necessarily like go to restaurants, look at wine lists and think, oh, like I'm going to drink this esoteric white from the Savoie, right? Like they're going to say, mom's mom wants something white and crisp and under $50 and wine lists should play to that, I think, as much as they can. So we do our best to do that. Speaking of your parents, I know you were surrounded by food and hospitality, a good portion of your life. Can you touch upon them quickly so we can learn about uh, little our job? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. My parents are the greatest entertainers I've ever been around. Uh, we were just home in Portland, promptly at four o'clock. It's cocktail hour, so dad, who doesn't drink, is making cocktails. Mom's putting out kebabs and samosas for the daughters-in-law who requested every time they're home. We open bottles of wine, we're all hanging out in the, in the front yard, and the dogs are running around, and that's followed usually by like a multi-course Indian dinner. And this is a natural occurrence, not just when we're home, but like they entertain at their home three to four times a week. And I really learned hospitality from them because they're incredibly generous I think sometimes to a fault I think the first couple times Tracy came home she's like dude you got to tell your mom like I'm full like I'm I can't <laughs> eat anymore I would be like Lena I had two platefuls I'm stuffed she's like have a third you know I, I came from an Italian background so I was kind of used to it but I was like wow your mom's on a, another level that's funny <laughs> I grew up around food going to restaurants as a kid like when my mom and dad's anniversary they really involved my brother and me and it was always like okay we're all gonna go have dinner together every couple of years be like you guys pick the restaurant and we'd always pick like a fancy my brother and i'd be like okay let's pick out some place fancy where maybe we can wear a jacket and we were like nine or ten at that point and i think restaurants have always been a, played a really important role in my family's life and in my life in particular and yeah how about you tracy how talk to me about little tracy in houston i grew up in the suburbs of houston i always love food you know at breakfast i was always thinking about lunch and then after lunch it was like okay what's for dinner i loved independent restaurants i was kind of obsessive about it, but I never started cooking. Growing up, I played a lot of soccer, a lot of sports. So that kind of kept me busy, but I was always really fascinated with restaurants and my mom always had the Food Network on and that always drew me in. So when did you start to become interested in food or cooking, I should say? Sure. So I went to college in Houston at the Hilton College of Hotel Restaurant Management um, at U of H and Towards the last couple months before I graduated, I was like, I'm not really into becoming the GM of the Four Seasons like a lot of the other students I'm with. And I was like, what do I do? And I went to Barcelona for six months. And one of my professors from school was like, look, this is going to sound crazy, but drink a bottle of cava, lock the door, and then write, write down on a piece of paper what makes you happy. And so I, I was like, okay, sounds corny, but I'll do it. So I wrote down food and I wrote down writing question mark. I was like a mediocre writer at best. And I was like, okay, food. Obviously I love food, but what does that mean? And then I was like, should I start cooking? I mean, I'm 22. 
everything I've read about all these chefs is they start cooking in France when they're 15. And am I too old? And I was like, you know what, live once, let's go for it. After that, I moved to Chicago and begged for a job at Lula Cafe for six months and had to take a couple jobs before they would hire me. But I finally wore them down and started cooking there, thankfully. Love that. We have so many parallels in our lives. It's kind of wild. <laughs> as we started to talk about before we were recording, but as you're talking, I'm like, oh my God, same, same. Why did you choose hotel restaurant management and not culinary? I initially chose hotel and restaurant management just because I thought, I love food. I would love to have a restaurant someday. I think I threw out the age by 30 just because that seemed to what everyone who's young was saying. Like, yeah, I'll do that by time I'm 30, which looking back on it now, we opened Birdies when I was 39. But ultimately, it was totally for the best and I have zero regrets. So I, I thought that maybe I'd want to own my own restaurant. But then kind of once I you know, understood like, okay, this is the path you get to doing that. I just didn't want to just be in dining room management. I kind of wanted something a little different. That's cool. So you made your way from Spain to Chicago. Shout out to Lula. I live right down the street. Shout out to Chef Jason Hamlet at Lula Cafe, who's got an awesome book coming out soon. Can you share anything you learned? I'm sure you learned plenty, but what did you learn from Chef Jason Hamill? I learned so much from him. I mean, he taught me how to hold a knife. He taught me how to stay behind in a kitchen. I mean, all of the basics. I was totally clueless. I was, you know, had a shiny diploma for hotel restaurant management, but that did not know I knew how to work in a kitchen. So they were really patient with me, you know, taught me about station organization, how to approach your day professionally, how to work the line. And it's funny, one day I was reading Michael Rollman's Soul of a Chef, and Jason actually gave that to me for Christmas. He gave everyone on the team a thoughtful book or something that was kind of beneficial to their career or life. And he gave me that book. And when I was reading the part actually on Grand Ackett's, everything's full circle, it talked about how he was like working the, the line at the French Laundry and how it was like a ballet and how graceful it was. And just something about like understanding and visualizing what that looked like. The next day I was working the station and Jason was like, what happened to you? And I go, what do you mean what happened? And he goes, you got good. Wow. <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? I mean, I just read this part of the book and he was like, that's amazing. So it was really cool to connect all those dots. That's so cool. So I take it you were happy with your decision of going to CIA? 100%. Yeah, it was definitely for me. And I, I don't recommend it to everyone, but I was when at the right time in my life, it turned out to be really awesome for me. I was super serious, extremely focused, was asking questions left and right, was doing anything extra I could. I just was really in a place of maturity in my life after being in a immature place when I was younger. I was a late bloomer. So I got a lot out of CIA. Cool. I love it. Hey, everyone. Want to take a quick second to give a shout out to our friends at Martin's Famous Potato Rolls. And I want to give a shout out to their Instagram. Have you seen their Instagram? I mean, yes. I go there more than I should looking for inspo when I have their stuff in my house, which is often. Why? Did I miss something? Well, I mean, I go to at Potato Rolls quite often and I have an issue going on, Cappy, which is. What's going on? I have an excess amount of jalapenos in my garden. I'm serious. This time of year, it just like. Send them to Chicago. Well, yeah, I could send them to Chicago, but this time of year. In the Northeast, for some reason, it just pops jalapenos in my garden, which is a great thing. But I don't know what else to do with them because I've done everything under the sun with them. And I happened to be on the other day on their Instagram, and I saw an image that stopped me. And then I scrolled down to the description, and it includes jalapenos. There you go. All right, you ready? Yeah, tell me. It's called the jalapeno ham slider. And it's got sliced ham, gooey mozzarella cheese, 
and a spicy kick from jalapenos. And it's like baked, cheesy, good looking, awesome. And what I also love about this image I see on Instagram is someone at Martin's is putting poppy seeds on top of the slider roll. So I was just like, genius. I would love to do that. I don't know why I haven't thought to do that yet. And I'm definitely trying this out because I have slider rolls already because my son loves burgers on them. So and I have everything with jalapeno. So it's golden. You got to check it out. Done. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm on appetite rolls often and I remember recently there was a breakfast sandwich mm. on a Martin slider size roll that looked incredible, which is always a great vessel for a breakfast sandwich and really any sandwich for that matter. But Ian, before we go, I do want to share a little bit more on how Martin's mission encompasses more than just baking incredible bread and rolls and providing good American jobs. They also believe in giving back to their community and the world around them. Through volunteering time and donating resources, they support hundreds of charitable organizations such as food banks, after-school programs, disaster relief, and others that provide sustenance and comfort to people in need both close to their baking facilities and abroad. So to learn more about Martin's and check out some great recipes, you can go to potatorolls.com and follow them on social media at potatorolls for recipe inspiration. Martin's, we thank you. Now, let's go back to the episode. So Arjav, what brought you to college in Ohio? This is going to sound really nerdy, but I did this thing called Constitution Team when I was in high school, which was a really competitive national, essentially government class. It was called We the People. And we'd gone to nationals uh, my year, placed like top five. And I was like, I want to be a lawyer. So I, as I was applying to places, I was looking at political science departments, et cetera. And Kenyon gave me a full ride. So I was like, definitely going here. And that plays into the move to DC after Kenyon. Time out. I need to pause. Full disclosure, listener, that is not our job or Tracy making funny noises in the mm. microphone. Their little nine-month-old cutie, Remy, is now this is a trio podcast, not a duo. So that's what you may hear. That's us. Okay, so Kenyon, and then you moved to D.C. after that. Okay, this is all starting to make sense. Any big takeaways for you working in, I mean, you worked in some pretty prominent dining rooms in D.C. Any big takeaways there for you? I mean, D.C. was where I started my dining room career. And I think one thing I like think D.C. has now gotten a lot of flowers for being an incredible dining city. I was there right during that transition. So uh, it was when Stephen Starr had just started opening Diplomat. There's all these restaurateurs from other cities coming in. Uh, but there were a lot of really incredible homegrown D.C. restaurants, including Kobe, where I worked, a uh, little Cerro. I think about Obelisk and Two Amy's. And it was like an incredible time to eat there. And the food there always struck me as incredibly soulful. And when I left DC, and to this day, I always talk about DC being like a really underrated food city. I think the diversity of the food there, the quality of, of chefs there, and the sustainability of life there. Like I just think DC was a really special moment in my life, in my career. It was my 21 to 26 years old. And I think being in a city where you could go to museums for free, take the metro four stops and you're like, oh my gosh, there's seven Smithsonian museums here that I can go to any time. And I did my best to take full advantage of it. In a way, I didn't quite frankly take full advantage of my time when I was living in New York because the grind in New York is totally different. You know, you'd be working 50 hour, 60 hour weeks, no problem. You're not making a whole lot of money. So all that money is going straight into rent. The only thing you want to do on your weekend is sleep. Yeah. 
That's so funny. So you both ended up in New York City. Is there a moment you both knew it was time to leave and do your own thing? Or is it all pandemic? Uh, is it all pandemic? It was after we got engaged. I think we got engaged in January of 2018. And after we got engaged, we'd moved in together the year before, like the February before. So we'd been to, like living together for a year and in this tiny cramped New York City apartment. We looked at each other and we were like, we got to get out of here and like actually start this next chapter of our life. You know, we've been talking about all these ideas we have, wanting to open a new restaurant, opening, like wanting to have a home. Are those things really achievable in New York? Like where we are in our life and we very quickly came to the conclusion like New York was not the place where we could do this. And then it really became a question of where do we want to go? I wanted to go back to Portland to be closer to my family. Tracy wanted to be in Texas to be closer to hers. And when, after weeks and weeks of arguing and debating and pros and cons and both things, neither of us could make a decision. So uh, we flipped a coin. Um, it was heads. So we moved to Austin. No. Yeah. <laughs> literally? <Yep>. That, was, <laughs> that was literally. That was it. Wait, are you ever like, what if it was tails? <laughs> no. <laughs> I truly think it was, you know, fate and this community in Austin has been so welcoming, so supportive. Most of our good friends own restaurants and or chefs. Everyone's just so welcoming and has each other's back that it is for sure the right place for us. And uh, we feel so fortunate to be well received here. That's so crazy to me. I it's like, nuts, I man. love that. It's so, I mean, I feel like you should write a memoir and the title is heads. It is. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that should be the name of our cookbook, Trace. I like it. And Andrew, honestly, if you would have saw how big the closet was in our Brooklyn apartment, if we could share a closet that small and not break up, then we can honestly do anything. My wife and I, same thing. We were in New York city and we feel the same. We're back in Chicago now with space, <laughs> but it's so wild. Like that it reminds me who you're talking to Jeffrey Zakarian on the podcast. And he was telling me the story how when he was in France and he won like thousands of dollars at a casino and it like let him go do these three Michelin star meals. And then he met these people. I was like, wait, what if you didn't win? What would you be doing right now? <laughs> He's like, ah, that's that's for another podcast. You know, like there's just these th these moments, these things that are just so incredible. And for me, you just said the coin flip so casually. I'm like, yo, dude, you just flipped a coin and there you are. Yeah, it, it was a moment where we were like, this is it. We're not questioning it. It's not best two out of three. That's it so is this cool. one and we're both going <laughs> to drop it. And we both like honestly can't fight another moment. That's so wild. Okay, so I hope you didn't think I was just going to say Granak, it says you're truly special and leave it at that because there were some more things that he wanted to ask. Can I just say one thing real quick? To be like in the same convert, like to hear Grant Ackett's like talking about us is a little mind blowing. So you're going to have to just like bear with us. Dude, I get it. I mean, don't want to give away the story, but like everyone should scroll back on Tracy's Instagram page and Grant's Instagram page because they both posted a similar post around the same time when Grant dined at Birdies and it's a really wild moving post. So I'm just going to leave it at that. But I totally hear you, our job, totally hear you, but clearly you two have deserved it, are deserving of it, given all the work you've put into you. what you've created. So the first question is, he said, what drives you? He said, you drastically changed arenas and therefore play by different rules of the game. So what drives you is the question. I mean, for me, it's always been one thing, which is my family. I think, you know, for me, it's making sure that Remy has 
all the things he wants in the world without being a spoiled kid, like being a good kid. Um, that's what kind of drives me. But I think, you know, when we're talking specifically about culinary and restaurants, I think the thing that drives me is we have a deep respect. I think both Tracy and I both have a very deep respect for this industry. And I think we have a deep respect for the chefs uh, that have made it possible, I think, for us to be in this place, right? I think every chef in their own way or every general manager that's ever worked restaurants has hopefully made it a little bit better, like the, the leaders have. People like Grant, Daniel Ballou, Thomas Keller, these people are have changed the industry in whatever way you might think, whether you agree with it or not, they have been icons for a reason. And I think we have a deep respect for that. And I think for us, it's about just moving the conversation and living up to the people before us whose shoulders we kind of stand on now and making sure that we leave the hospitality industry just a little bit better than we found it. I think that's what I hope for, at least. Very cool. Tracy, do you want to jump in there? Or? Yeah, I think what drives me, I mean, obviously being a mother now changes our lives in a very meaningful way. But in terms of showing up for work every day at Birdies, especially from a culinary perspective, I feel like we just want to create something that feels true to that moment. We don't do a lot of recipe testing. We just kind of cook. And I think there's a special connective moment, you know, especially when we have like a new dish or two on that night that we haven't really tested. And the first person at five, they're getting a dish that like, maybe I haven't tasted. And we're kind of like tasting it as I go. And figuring out as I go. And so like, I just love that moment of spontaneity, that moment of connection we have with our guests. I was really into a lot of independent music, some like punk rock and stuff like growing up through high school and college. And I love those connective, alive, energetic moments. So I'm never pushing to make air quotes, like perfect food. I mean, there's no such thing, right? But like, I just want something to be alive and in that moment. And I love that connection we have from cooks to our guests. In the next question from Chef Ackett, Remy wants to take this one. You ready, Remy? <laughs> What's important to you now versus your time in New York City? I think balance for me. You know, I think in New York for me, it was about getting really good. So I didn't really care about anything else. Like all I cared about was repetition, like hospitality is a craft. And the only way to get good at a craft is to do it over and over and over and over again until it's muscle memory. And um, I used the first 10 years of my life not really caring about anything else. Just I was like, I'll work 10 days in a row if you need me to, because like it just gives me a chance to get better. I think I'm in a place now where I'm like, okay, I know what I'm doing. And now I want to spend time with Tracy and Remy. How about you, Tracy? So now being a parent, work-life balance is really important and making sure we're prioritizing time for ourselves, our family, so we can be good leaders for our team. You know, we have Sunday, Mondays off every week. That's kind of a non-negotiable. We close for two weeks in the summer, two weeks over the holidays, all paid time off for our team so everyone can recharge their batteries. So where I feel like New York was like grind, 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 grind. That's just the mentality of what New York I feel like is no matter what profession you're in. I feel like Austin has been a moment to take a deep breath, reset, and then just create the life we really want. That's amazing. You know, we mentioned how Birdies represents your shared vision for a reimagined restaurant model. And you all have given a number of ways throughout this time that you've done that. But is there anything else you want to add into there beyond what you may have mentioned? The only thing I'll add is that reimagining like the business model, I think it's understated sometimes how important it is to like not live paycheck to paycheck as an employee or living month to month, hoping that you have enough cash in the bank to like pay your invoices. You know, I think a lot of the stressors 
leaders, if you will, within a restaurant that have kind of created some of the challenges and the, quite frankly, like problems that we've we've been addressing in restaurants over the last three years is we've kind of exercised some of this stuff and talked about it out loud come from the fact that cultures are very much based in stress and then decisions and conversations happen in and around really stressful situations. Um, And I think for us, this reimagined model was about taking care of us first. And I think that's something we don't say out loud enough, but I think the natural instinct to say, oh, we need to take care of our teams and we need to take care of our guests or whatever it is in whatever order it is. But I think for Tracy and me, knowing ourselves, it was like, we have to take care of ourselves. Like only then can we truly take care of everybody else that we want to take care of. If we're not taking care of ourselves, it's impossible for us to do that. You know, and I think when we had Remy, we realized like Tracy's going to need time to recover. She needs time off, you know, to recover and be with her kid. You know, just a few months ago, we instituted paid family leave at our restaurant, which for a small restaurant like ours is a big undertaking, you know, but we thought it was important enough in serving kind of the mission that we talked about earlier too, which is we want this to be a career for people. You can't make it a career for people if they can't have children and start a family and be with their families. So it was something that was really important to us. And we hope as time progresses, we can continue to do things like that uh, for our team. Love that. Love that. And earlier, we of course mentioned the food and wine, huge accolade. But before that, I also want to share with our listeners that in 2022, Birdies was named one of Bon Appetit's and Esquire's best new restaurants in America. And in 2022, our job was Esquire's Wine Guru of the Year and a Wine Enthusiast Wine Star nominee. With the recent Restaurant of the Year accolade, I'm really curious about the message in your pre-shift talk. Yeah, I think the message is... And I think this has been true, like with any of our accolades, is like really enjoy this, celebrate it. It's really important to celebrate these moments. We don't get a chance in our industry to stop and celebrate. But it's also for the work we did yesterday. It's not about what we're doing today. And I think knowing that now comes the hard part, which is defending that. People are going to come in now with a different set of expectations. Um, that We've noticed that every time we've gotten an accolade. And I think just reminding people that we have to just be ourselves. But let's try and be the best version of ourselves every single day. That's all we can do and all we should do. Love it. Tracy, anything you want to add? Yeah, I think for the the kitchen, I always like to say, let's change nothing. Keep tasting, keep cooking intuitively, and just keep doing what you're doing. Every dish that we serve is important, not just most of them, but every single one. So that constant challenge to make every dish as great as you can, always keep that kind of at the focus of like dinner service. Nice. I like that. Okay. So jumping into social impact and giving back, you guys likely know this, but the podcast celebrates social impact with every guest and learning how they all do it is what inspires me and and the team to go forward. Different chefs, different restaurants have their ways that they do it. It could be a cause meaningful to them. It could be, you know, a portion of proceeds from a menu item. There's, there's a hundred different ways that people do it. And I know you all have a lot under the mentorship umbrella, which I would also funnel under this. So I would love for you to touch upon whether it's your mentorship, whether it's another cause or organization that you would want to kind of shine a little light on. 
Sure. Yeah, I think to address that first question, I think it's really about, for us, pouring our resources into taking care of our team. That's, I think, how we make the biggest social impact is by taking care of our team, mentoring them, and giving them access to the things that allow them to be the best versions of themselves. You know, uh, A quick example is we offer subsidized therapy to our team where we contribute the biggest portion of the cost of the therapist. They just contribute $10 every time they go. And when we instituted it, we noticed an immediate increase in productivity from the team, but also like just a general like different sensibility from the team on how they were carrying themselves through life and their ability to handle like conflicts and problems, et cetera, when they showed up. So I think for us, like a big component, uh, really the biggest component of what we do is making sure that we're taking care of our team and our house so they can go out into the community and be the best versions of themselves wherever they are. The other thing we do is Southern Smoke Foundation, Chris Shepard's organization is something that we're both huge fans of. We're huge fans of Chris and Lindsay and everything that they stand for. And we're participating in the Southern Smoke Foundation's annual fundraiser this year. Tracy and I also participated this year in Hot Luck. And we've done that ever since, which um, where all the proceeds go to the Southern Smoke Foundation. And then every year we have an allocated budget for things we can do in the community. You know, there's a lot of regulars that come in and have other things that they are really passionate about, whether that's the foster kid system, hunger, homelessness, whatever it is. And during their annual fundraisers, they always ask us to make a contribution. And we do our best every single year to allocate a portion of our funds to those fundraisers through gift certificates or in-kind donations. And that's really how we how we go about it. Love it. Appreciate all of that work. Let's do a quick speed round with you both. Actually, you know what? I'm going to go back to after the social impact part because I feel like I used to say this every episode and I kind of stopped and now I want to say it again. What you all are doing is incredible. I think there's dollars you're giving. I think there's time you're giving and your voice. And that's one thing I always like to preach to people who want to give back. You don't have to have the deepest pockets. There's other ways to do it. You may have a hundred followers on Instagram, but it only takes one person to see that, to make a big difference in someone's life. Um, I like to say, give how you can and what makes the most sense for you. All right, speed round number one. This is for both of you. We'll go Tracy first. What did you have for dinner last night? I for dinner last night? Burritos. We both had burritos. Oh yeah, I had a burrito. A burrito. <laughs> <laughs> I That's couldn't funny. remember. Yeah. <laughs> I looked at the most meals I think about are like, what is Remy eating? Oh, yeah, I yeah. had a burrito last night. <laughs> it's funny. Tracy, name a smell in the kitchen you love. Garlic and rosemary and olive oil. How about a smell in the kitchen you hate? Okay, so when I was pregnant, I had this major aversion to spring onions. It was like May when my nausea was like 12 out of 10. So I'm still coming around to remembering my love for any kind of spring onion because those smells, those aversions you develop during some pregnancies just stay with you. How wild. That's wild. Our job, what pisses you off in the dining room? Not paying close enough attention. One of my biggest pet peeves is servers chatting in a corner when a guest needs something. Me too. What makes you happy in the dining room? I think we're so lucky, especially now. We have such an incredible dining room team. And someone put something on Instagram the other day about how they come, Birdies is the place they come to when they're not feeling great about life or feeling down um, because they always feel a little bit better when they leave. And I think for me, like great hospitality is about just making people feel a little bit better on their way out than they felt when they walked in. 
And to me, that is the intoxicating part of what we do. Heck yeah, I love that. All right, now that you both are a little warmed up, we are proud to have Frito-Lay as a partner this season on the pod. So I thought it'd be fun to kind of stay on theme here, given we just did a speed round and we're seeing chips pop up in places like a garnish for the bear and all those good things. And quite frankly, who doesn't love chips? So let's say you are stranded on a deserted island or maybe a deserted kitchen island. And Tracy, you can only use one chip or chip flavor to garnish your dishes. What would you choose? I'd go classic baked lays. It's just neutral. It's crunchy, a little salty. It's just everything you want in a chip. Yeah, I love it. I like it. Okay, how about if I were to do like a his and hers? Is there like a his and hers for chips for you two? 100%. I like a thicker cut, but I also like a good Ruffles. I'm a Ruffles guy, not a baked Lay's guy. Got it. Love a good Ruffle. We have opinions on everything food related in this house, and most things are different. You know, it's so funny. I feel like sometimes my kids are like, won't eat anything, but then they pick up a bag of like Funyuns. I'm like... Yo, dude, that's like a strong flavor, you know, or like they're, they have these like honey barbecue Frito spiral things that my kids are like addicted to. And it cracks me up because they walk around with a bag of potato chips. And here I thought they don't eat anything, but they're, you know, getting these strong flavors. I like it. You have a day off. You said Sundays and Mondays, the restaurants close. How do you usually spend your days off? I just recently got into pickleball, so now I'm playing a lot of pickleball. But for us, we spend a lot of time just catching up. We've, we just got back from a vacation and realized that the two of us don't get as much time. We spend our entire day together, but we don't really spend time together. And I think we've made a really concerted effort to spend quality time together where we're actually just talking, not about work, but just like about ourselves and our lives. And I think that's been really nice. Every weekend we go to one restaurant. Last weekend we went to a restaurant called Bufalina, which is one of our favorite restaurants in the city. It's like Neapolitan pizza, great wine list, yummy pastas. But we do use that time to kind of recharge our batteries as much as we can individually and as a couple and then we try and see a set of friends most weekends if we can is remy eating any salads yet heck yeah he is yes is he good he's, he's loving solids he whenever we have pizza he still he eats the pizza crust so we've learned that he doesn't enjoy bland food i started off the first week like making him you know, they say like unseasoned purees. And I was like, oh God, I've made a gazillion purees in my career. I'm going to nail this. And he was kind of like, meh. And then I was like, oh, does he not like food? Does he not like my food? What's happening? And we went, we, we were somewhere at a restaurant and then he, it was like, there was like a spicy vindaloo sauce and he grabbed my fork, put it in his mouth and was like obsessed. And we were like, oh, he just wants like salt and spice. There's this half Indian boy coming through. Yeah. My proudest moment as a dad. Yeah, that's fantastic. Remy had his first anchovy last weekend and was like really into it. And that was like a really important moment for Tracy and me because like anchovies are life for us, you know, so. It was a wide anchovy. So it was like a good intro, a little more delicate. Closing it out here, this question may seem predictable, but what advice do you have for future moms and dads in the industry? Um, Have a plan. It's going to go wrong, but at least have a plan, like a starting point of what you want to do. We did not have a plan for my pregnancy. Our plan was to have our sous chef trained, ready to go around my seventh month mark. So we were really caught off guard when I got extremely sick when I was pregnancy and that really rocked our world. So I think what I would say is for the chefs out there who are women who are pregnant, have a plan for when you actually get pregnant because as chefs we're pushed to like, or we're taught to always push through and fight and you got this, you're strong, you can do anything. But there's a moment 
in some of our lives where our bodies are just like, no, you, you need to actually pause for a minute and have a plan to be supportive if that happens. I think for me, it's, I guess, two things. One is it's really important to set some time aside for yourself where you have even like a half hour to yourself where you can do something that recharges your brain and your soul and your mind. I think that's the best way to be a, a good dad for me. And then I think the other part is that you can do everything. It's just like a little hard to do it all at the same time. So I think you have to kind of prioritize like what you want to do when you want to do it and who you want to do it with. Just be more mindful of allocating your time. And the good news is it gets easier. You know, the first three months are hard because you're trying to figure it out, but then it's much easier after that. And, and Remy's he sleeps through the night now and he's a doll of a human being and enriched our life in every way. And it's totally worth it. Whatever, whatever you have to do, it's totally worth it. Yeah. I love it. All right. You two really appreciate your time. Both of you. I'm glad we were able to make this happen. Everyone has only great things to say about you both. And I think it's really interesting when you talk about people like Keller and Balud and people like that and in the path that they've laid and whatnot. And I think with what you guys have created, whether it's the term fine casual, the concept, these benefits you give your staff, I can only imagine that it's only a matter of time that people are going to be saying that and thanking you both for that path that you're starting to lay for them. Thanks, man. That's really kind. Thank you for having us. It means a lot to, to be on your show and we're honored to be here. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thanks again to Chef Tracy Malachek Ezekiel and our job Ezekiel. Find Tracy on Instagram at Tracy Malachek. Find our job at our job Ezekiel. To learn more about Southern Smoke Foundation, go to southernsmoke.org. We'll share links in the episode notes and at beyondtheplaypodcast.com. Find me and keep up to date with this podcast across all social media at On Kathy's Plate or go to beyondtheplatepodcast.com. Beyond the Plate is also on social at BT Plate Podcast. This episode was produced by myself, along with Ian Cohen, Joel Yetten, and Sean Petrosian. Our digital media producer is Sarah McClellan Mead. Our music has been composed by Goldford. Find him at iGoldford. As always, a special shout out to my wife, Katie. If you have a moment, would you be so kind as to rate or review and subscribe to this podcast on your listening site of choice? And don't forget to join us next Wednesday for an episode of Beyond the Drink, our companion podcast of Beyond the Plate, brought to you by our friends at Ford's Gin. And also our brand new podcast called Clean Play Club. Clean Play Club is a family-friendly podcast that is kind of like story time, but with recipes. You can find it on all major podcast platforms and on Instagram at Clean Play Club Pod. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Plate. I'm Cappy. And remember, there are never too many cooks in the kitchen.